CNN's Don Lemon makes an awkward on-air apology for mocking half of his fellow countrymen as ignorant, illiterate rubes. The only problem with Don Lemon's apology is that he never actually apologized. We will examine why being a leftist means never having to say you're sorry. Then the fate of impeachment comes down to a nail-biter on Friday. We take a look at the stakes. The Iowa caucuses are just four days away. And finally, the mailbag. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Do we have a lot to get to today? My favorite, of course, is Don Lemon's Sorry, I'm Not Sorry, which isn't just about Don Lemon. It's not just about CNN. It's about the whole left wing. We'll get to that in a second. First, I have got to thank our friends over at Ebb Sleep. If you have tried everything to get past your insomnia with little success, it is time for you to try Ebb. And I'd also add, if you sometimes have headaches at night, I get, this happens to me a lot, it, trying to get to sleep with a headache is virtually impossible. Ebb Sleep has the solution. It is a wearable solution, fits over the forehead, and gently and precisely cools the forehead to reduce those racing thoughts to allow people who suffer from sleeplessness, drift more comfortably into a deeper, more restorative sleep. This is not just some hokey new idea that was invented by a millennial or something. Ebb is clinically shown to help people with insomnia and other sleeplessness. It's, it's shown to reduce those thoughts, those racing thoughts, and help you get a restful night of sleep. Ebb's cooling, calming nature is designed to counteract the way the mind and body react to stressful situations. It allows you to reach restorative sleep quicker so that you can be at peak performance the next day. Really, really cool stuff. Have the energy to do the things you love again by getting the sleep you need. Ebb's natural solution has no morning side effects and allows you to get back to your peak performance. Our listeners can now try Ebb risk-free for 60 nights to confirm that it's the solution you've been looking for. Go to tryebb.com slash Knowles, T-R-Y-E-B-B dot com slash Knowles, tryebb.com slash Knowles. Order it today to get the sleep you need and deserve. My favorite sorry I'm not sorry that I've ever seen comes from Don Lemon. You remember the other night we saw Don Lemon on CNN along with two panelists mocking all conservatives, all Trump voters as idiots, ignorant, illiterate rubes. They, they can't find anything on a map. They can't spell. They mocked their southern accents, right? Laughing for, for almost 90 seconds. So the bigwigs over at CNN it would seem, leaned on Don Lemon and said, man, you got to apologize because our ratings are plummeting. Now we're down to six viewers. Before we were up at eight viewers, and so we were able to appease the advertisers, but now we're down at six and we're, we're starting to face some trouble uh, other than everyone at the airports that we forced to watch our, our network. So they get Don Lemon to come on out and give his apology. And Don Lemon, you gotta got to appreciate the cojones on that guy. He goes to give his apology and never actually apologizes. Here he is. And one final note that I have for you, because this is personally important to me to address this, okay? Anyone, ask anyone who knows me, they'll tell you. I don't believe in belittling people, belittling anyone for who they are, for what they believe, or where they're from. He, he doesn't believe in belittling people. Not Don Lemon. He would never believe in belittling people, right? Oh, except let's go back to that clip from three nights ago and see if you would call that belittling people. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience, uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump. 
um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's a smart one in there. Oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are them. <laughs> you, you elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my your math and your reading. Yeah, you're reading, you know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte. <laughs> All those lines on the map. <laughs> But by, but by South South Ukraine. Ukraine. Oh my god! But, but, but you know what? But, but it was Rick's fault. I blame Rick. Oh but, you know, but, but in all honesty, but all, blame you know what Rick. NPR should Why do? not? Sorry, hold on. You, wait, wait. Can yeah, I tell give you me a second. You, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> that was good. Sorry, Rick. You, that you, was a good one. I needed that. That was good. I needed to spend 80 seconds laughing at half of the country, but I totally, totally would never belittle them. What would give you the idea that Don Lemon would belittle them? Then he goes on. He, he sets up the apology, right, and with absolutely no credibility because he's just lying to your face. He did belittle people. He did mock half the country the other night. Then he goes on with a straight face. During an interview on Saturday night, one of my guests said something that made me laugh. And while in the moment, I found that joke humorous. And I didn't catch everything that was said. Oh, there it is. Did you see that? I hope you caught everything that was just said. He starts out not by apologizing, but by defending himself. He says, look, there was a joke, and I thought that joke was funny, and then the denial. And look, I didn't catch everything that was said. Yes, you did. Of course you did. There was only one thing that was said. The only thing that was said is that Trump voters are a bunch of idiots. That's actually the problem with the joke, is it was just a one-note joke. Rick Wilson and that other guy, Wajahad Ali, both said that Trump voters are idiots. And then they said that same thing over and over in multiple ways. And Don Lemon broke down laughing for 90 seconds. That's the whole, so you did hear it. Even if you missed 70 seconds of that joke, you did hear the joke, which was that uh, these Trump voters are complete idiots. He denies it. He says, nope, I, I didn't hear it anyway. Never mind. Moving on, moving on. And then he finishes up his non-apology apology. Just to make this perfectly clear, I was laughing at the joke and not at any group of people. Yeah, but the joke was the people. What are you talking about? You were laughing at the joke. What was the joke? The joke was Trump voters are total idiots. And they talk like this and they don't read and they don't know geography. That was the whole joke for 80, 90 seconds. So you were laughing at the joke and the joke was the people. Being a leftist means never having to say that you're sorry because you can just excuse yourself all the time. And what makes this so bad for Don Lemon is the, the first segment that he's apologizing for was insulting people's intelligence. And then the apology is an even greater insult to people's intelligence because he's not actually apologizing. I'll give you an example how you don't see this on the right. The premise of this new podcast that I have with Ted Cruz, Verdict with Ted Cruz, number one podcast in the country, the whole premise of that is that people are smarter than you give them credit for. Right? Maybe they don't speak legalese, maybe they don't speak like politicians, but if you take these highly specialized terms, you translate them into common language, people actually understand what's going on because people are actually pretty smart. The whole premise of CNN is people are a bunch of idiots. They actually say that on air, and then when they go to apologize for it, they think the viewers are so stupid that they're going to believe a non-apology is an apology. I'll give you another example of this beyond Don Lemon. Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren is now proposing criminal penalties for spreading misinformation on the internet. I'll repeat that. Elizabeth Liawatha Warren is proposing criminal penalties 
for posting misinformation on the internet. She said, I will push for new laws that impose tough civil and criminal penalties for knowingly disseminating this kind of information. Just to remind you of who Elizabeth Warren is, here's just a little clip of her when she was on The Breakfast Club asked about her racial history. You kind of like the original Rachel Dozoff a little bit. Rachel Dozoff was a white woman pretending to be black. Now, this is what I learned from my family. Yeah. I <laughs> love that clip. Yeah, well, it wasn't true. And you lied. And you never apologized for it. Liz Warren, you never apologized for decades of lies. You never apologized to the Native American whose job you might have taken in the academy. You never apologized to the school administrators that you smeared when you said that you were fired by a school for being pregnant when that actually wasn't true. You never apologized to the voters that you regularly insult by lying to them. One of Elizabeth Warren, one of Elizabeth Warren's big problems right now on the campaign trail, she doesn't learn, she doesn't adapt. She just keeps up this same old strategy. She keeps on lying. You actually see the same problem all the way in the United Kingdom in the Brexit vote. We'll get to that in a second. We'll get to why leftists never have to say they're sorry. But first, even if you are dutifully checking bank statements and monitoring your credit, you can still miss threats to your identity. Good thing there's LifeLock identity theft protection. LifeLock uses proprietary technology to detect and alert you to a wide range of potential identity threats. Like if your social security number starts to go for sale on the dark web. And that actually happens. And I know you think it will never happen to you. But when it does happen, it's too late. Now, if you do have an issue involving identity theft, one of LifeLock's identity restoration specialists will work to fix it. you got to move fast. Of course, no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But with LifeLock, you get identity theft protection to help protect your devices against cyber threats for up to 25% off your first year. Go to LifeLock.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Use the service that I use to protect my identity. LifeLock.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, and you will get 25% off. Do it today. Do not wait, and please do not wait until it's too late lifelock.com slash Knowles. You see this problem, this lying, this inability to admit your own mistakes, this inability to adapt from the left, even in Great Britain, even in the European Union. Big, big news coming out of Europe right now. We've been talking about Brexit for three, four years at this point. The UK voted for Brexit to leave the European Union in 2016. For some reason, it just hasn't happened because liberal elites keep trying to keep them in. It's finally going to happen. As of 11 p.m. tomorrow, Great Britain will no longer be a member of the European Union. The conservative leader, uh, Nigel Farage in the European Union, he stood up there. He gave his farewell address. He's been pushing for Britain to leave the European Union for years and years now. They laughed at him. They told him it wouldn't happen. He gave his farewell address, and the EU was so furious about it, they actually cut his microphone. Take a listen. So this is it, the final chapter, the end of the road. A 47-year political experiment that the British, frankly, have never been very happy with. It is globalism against populism. And you may loathe populism, but I tell you a funny thing, it's becoming very popular. <laughs> and it has great benefits. No more financial contributions. No more European Court of Justice. No more common fisheries policy. No more being talked down to. No more being bullied. No more Guy Verhofstadt. I mean, I mean what's not to like? I know you're going to miss us. 
I know you want to ban our national flags, but we're going to wave you goodbye. And we'll look forward in the future to working with you as sovereign. If you disobey the rules, you get cut off. Could we please remove the flags? Mr. Farage, could we remove the flags, please? Oh, what a magnificent moment. How this highlights the difference between the conservative view and this liberal view, never admitting that you were wrong. After so many obstacles, Great Britain finally is pulling out of the European Union. And in this last act, they say, look, we are looking forward to working with you, Europe, but we are going to work with you as a sovereign nation. And before he can say nation, they cut his microphone and they cut his microphone because he's waving the flag of his nation. And several of the other members of the delegation are actually wearing the flag on a, on a necktie, the Union Jack. They say, and, and when she cuts the microphone, the speaker says, Put away the flags. Put away the flags. That's a violation of the rules. Hey, listen, lady, if, if you want to ensure that the EU completely dissolves, keep telling people to put away their flags. Because guess what? People like their flags and they like their countries. And th that has been what these elections, whether it's the United States election, whether it's in Hungary, whether it's in Great Britain, whether all over the West right now, there is a resurgence of love of country of love of nation, of these bonds of loyalty that go beyond this liberal, utopian, one-world scheme that they've been trying to foist on us for decades. You would think that the left could have some humility after all of these devastating losses, the, the Brexit loss, the Donald Trump loss, the uh, Boris Johnson loss, the losses all throughout continental Europe, but they don't learn. They can't learn. They can't change their minds. And it's not as though you couldn't predict this. Margaret Thatcher, one of the great prime ministers in the history of Britain, predicted all of this years and years ago. In the 1980s, Margaret Thatcher predicted exactly what would happen if Britain entered into the European Union. It's, we, she could have given this speech three years ago instead of over 30 years ago. Here she is. The political consequences can already be glimpsed. The growth of extremist parties battening on fears about mass immigration and unemployment, offering a real, if thoroughly unwelcome, alternative to the Eurocentrist political establishment. If, in addition, you were to create a supranational European federation and the people could no longer hold their national parliaments to account, extremism would only grow further. You'll see the growth of extremism. You'll see a lot of uh, worry about mass migration. You'll say, guess what? That's what defines our political era. And she was right. Now, is Margaret Thatcher a mind reader? Are conservatives just wizards dealing in the dark arts that they can predict all these things? No, they just maintain a healthy skepticism about all of these liberal utopian ideas. And guess what? It turns out that they're correct. The, the big takeaway here from Don Lemon to Brexit to even beyond, the left can never acknowledge that they're wrong because their vision of progressivism does not allow it. Progressivism insists that there is an end goal. There is a utopia. There's this perfect place that we're getting to and we're getting a little bit closer all the time, but you just got to follow their path to progress. Now, it doesn't matter if their path to progress doesn't work. It doesn't matter if those utopian schemes breed human misery everywhere they're tried. 
The left doesn't care if their programs work in practice. They care if they work in theory. They care that they're really consistent all the time. They're consistently wrong, but at least they're consistent. Actually, nowhere do you see this better than on the podcaster Joe Rogan's recent endorsement of Bernie Sanders. Joe Rogan came out. He tries not to be too political or too partisan, but he recently came out on his podcast. His is the number two podcast in America. It's right below the number one podcast in America, Verdict with Ted Cruz, a show that I happen to co-host. He came out right away and he said that he's going to vote for Bernie Sanders because Bernie Sanders has been so consistent. Who are you going to vote for in the primary? I think... I think I'll probably vote for Bernie. Him as a human being, when I was hanging out with him, and yeah. I, I believe in him. I like him. I like him a lot. What Bernie stands for is a guy who, well, look, you could, you could dig up dirt on every single human being that's ever existed if you catch them in their worst moment, and you magnify those moments, and you cut out everything else, and you only display, display those worst moments. That said... You can't find very many with Bernie. He's been insanely consistent his entire life. He's basically been saying the same thing, been for the same thing his whole life. And that in and of itself is a very powerful structure to operate from. Bernie Sanders has been insanely consistent. He's been insanely consistently wrong. He's been consistently communist. He honeymooned in the Soviet Union. There were videos of him with his shirt off, swilling vodka, singing communist folk songs in the Soviet Union with the Ruskies before the fall of the Berlin Wall. He's been consistently in support of the worst communist regimes on earth. Castro, communists all throughout Latin America. But he has been consistent. Shows you a big difference between the left and the right. The left, above all, values consistency. The worst thing you can be on the left is a hypocrite. This is why the left all the time goes so hard after Republican senators who get caught getting feely with other men in airport bathrooms, that kind of thing. It's not because the left disapproves of homosexuality, right? The left celebrates homosexuality. They should be happy when Republican senators are getting frisky with other guys in the airport bathroom. It's not that. It's because the Republican senators are seen to be hypocrites. A Republican senator votes against gay marriage, redefining marriage, and then he's caught with a guy in an airport bathroom, that's the worst thing you can be because you're a hypocrite. The chief sin, according to the left, is hypocrisy. For the right, it's very different. The right values something much more than consistency. The right values actually being right. Even if you used to be wrong, now you're right, that's a good thing. We would much rather have a moral standard that we fail to live up to than have no standards at all. We, we know as conservatives, we're all flawed and broken. We all fall short of the glory of God. We don't care so much about consistency if you get it right now. We just elected Donald Trump. The, the party of family values, social conservatives, Christians, has elected a thrice married lapsed Presbyterian who used to donate to Democrats, who once called himself very pro-choice. The, on the left, they say, what hypocrisy, what inconsistency. But you know what we see on the right? A guy who has matured over time and is now an excellent president and very conservative and the most pro-life president we've ever had and extremely successful. I'm pretty glad that we took a chance on that inconsistent guy. I'm pretty glad that Trump was inconsistent. If he had been consistent, he would have remained a very pro-choice liberal Democrat, but he didn't. He became a conservative. 
and a very good conservative president. We were right to choose being right over being consistent. We're seeing this play out in impeachment, too. There are reports right now, and I'm getting them every single night when Senator Cruz comes here from the Capitol. He tells us what's happening behind closed doors. There are reports that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell does not have the votes to block more witnesses in the impeachment trial. We've already had 17, 18 witnesses. He's saying, we want to stop it. No more witnesses. End this thing. It's a total farce anyway. But he doesn't have the votes because of those squishy Republican senators. Guys like Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, those moderates. So right now, the president's team says it's going to be a nail biter. It's going to come down to the wire on Friday or Saturday. There are, there are a handful of Republican senators who don't even know if they're going to ask for witnesses or not. And Mitt Romney, too. He, doesn't, he, he has not said, I am going to ask for more witnesses. But he's likewise not agreed to end this whole thing. So in this case, it's extremely annoying because I just really wish that Romney and the other ones would get on board, realize this is a total hack impeachment, end this thing and move on, and then I can fly back to Los Angeles. <laughs> but actually, in, in Romney's defense, never thought I would say that, this speaks pretty well of Republicans. Okay, Republicans are not all just in lockstep. We're not all just falling in line behind the president blindly. We're open to new information. You can't, you can't predict exactly what a Republican or a conservative or a right-winger is going to say. If you got 100 conservatives into the room together, not, not two of them would agree on every single thing. That's not true of the left. You rarely, if ever, see this kind of break among the left. You never see some left-winger defending Trump. You never saw some left-winger really seriously opposing Obama. But you do see right-wingers criticizing Trump. It's because... We've got different ideas. There's a little more intellectual diversity. We're, we're more open to changing circumstances. So what does this mean for impeachment? Means John Bolton might testify, and the Democrats will be happy about that. Then it means Hunter Biden might testify. Democrats will not be happy about that. Then more people may testify. Then this thing could get dragged out all the way until March. Now, conventional wisdom is saying that the, the senators who are running for president Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Amy Klobuchar, that they want to end this impeachment race so that they can get back on the campaign trail. But actually, for one of them, impeachment has been really, really good. And coincidentally, it's the one presidential candidate who's been insanely consistent. It's the one presidential candidate who just got Joe Rogan's endorsement. That would be Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is totally killing it. He's at the top of the polls. Why? We will find out in a second. Then we will get to the mailbag. But first, I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, and I want to talk about the pro-life cause. While the pro-abortion activists shout their abortions on national TV and refer to pre-born babies as parasites, pro-lifers have fought back. All of us here at The Daily Wire have spoken out for life. And last year, Ben addressed a crowd of 100,000 people at the March for Life here in Washington, D.C. Our advertisers, as a result, were targeted by left-wing political operatives and several advertisers pulled their ads from our shows. This is a constant battle to protect pro-life advocacy from the forces of abortion. Live Action has experienced the same thing. Live Action is one of the most important voices in the pro-life movement. They've helped to expose Planned Parenthood and other abortion clinics for the horrific crimes they commit. Pro-abortion activists have targeted Live Action. They've censored them on social media platforms when they don't succeed in kicking them off altogether. That is why our DailyWire.com members 
are so important. Your membership helps keep our cameras on and our microphones turned up, even when the left pressures our sponsors. That is why from now until January 31st, coming up real quick, a portion of AnyDailyWire.com membership will be donated to Live Action with promo code LIVEACTION to support awareness and education around the world on this issue. This is your last chance. Just a few days left to take advantage of this, so join DailyWire.com. Make your pro-life voice heard before it is too late. We'll be right back with a lot more. We are five days away, I think, from the Iowa caucuses, the first big test of the 2020 presidential primary race. And Bernie Sanders, the consistent candidate, the man who never said he's sorry, he's at the top of the pack. And Joe Biden's campaign, trying to run in the moderate lane, that campaign is falling apart. You can see it falling apart in real time. The other day, uh, Joe Biden was doing an event in Iowa and he couldn't remember what year he and Barack Obama got reelected. I can think of at least eight women, at least four or five people of color, that I think are totally qualified to be vice president of the United States. But for me, it has to be demonstrated that whoever I pick is two things. One, is capable of needing to be president because I'm an old guy. Okay. No, but I'm serious. Look, I'm a thank God. I'm in great health. I work out. No, I'm serious. I, you know, I work out every morning. I'm in good shape. Knock on wood, as my mother would say. Yeah. So that's that's actually the first part, right? That's where Joe Biden is now having to admit his age is a factor in this campaign. He's saying, "Look, I'm going to need a young VP because I'm an old guy." Campaigns that are strong do not need to rely on their vice presidents. Campaigns that are strong don't admit that there is a likelihood that they will not finish out their term, which is what Joe Biden is admitting. And you see it in all of these memory lapses. I mean, you saw it on the debate stage when his eyeball exploded and his teeth fell out of his mouth. You see it when he loses his trains of thought, which happen a lot. And you see it in Iowa, again, just the other day, when he couldn't remember when he got elected. 40 years later to the month, in January of 2012, actually 2013, no, wait a minute, we got elected in 2012, 2010 or 2013, I was standing in the same place I used to interview my clients, the woman at the train station, before they take them off for a rental. If you are running to be president and your biggest accomplishment is that you were the vice president, and you can't remember when you got elected vice president, that's not a great resume. That's not a strong campaign. I mean, even just running as the vice president, that's not, a, that's not even that strong. But if you, if you can't remember where you are, probably voters are not going to have a lot of faith in you. And as a result of this campaign falling apart, a new candidate has emerged to take this moderate spot. That candidate is New York billionaire Mike Bloomberg. There is a morning consult poll out of national voters showing that Mike Bloomberg is exploding up the charts. Now, he's still way behind. You got to remember, he started from nothing and he got into the race late and he's only half a Democrat. He actually was the Republican mayor of New York for part of his term. Then he switched parties. But Bloomberg right now is at about 12 percent, according to morning consult, closing in on Warren, who's at 14 percent, still behind Joe Biden, who's at 29 and uh, Bernie Sanders, who's at 23 
That's a national poll. So it's not in Iowa. It's not in New Hampshire, but it's national overall. But Mike Bloomberg is rising up those charts. He's got the most momentum of any candidate. Whether he can catch up in time is another story. So Mike Bloomberg is the great hope to take Joe Biden's spot because Joe Biden's too old. The only problem is Mike Bloomberg is older than Joe Biden. Mike Bloomberg is nine months older than Joe Biden. So it's very difficult to imagine the Democrats making a 77-year-old male New York billionaire their nominee for president. Also hard to imagine Mike Bloomberg beating Donald Trump. But he may try to land the moderate lane to stop Bernie because the Democrats are very concerned that whatever the moderate is, whether it's Joe Biden or or Mike Bloomberg or even Pete Buttigieg, they're not going to be able to stop Bernie. Don't forget those Democrat elites had to steal the election from Bernie in 2016. Why? Why is Bernie Sanders, this old communist codger who was around St. Petersburg when he felt it was time for a change, who knew Karl Marx personally, probably, I wouldn't be surprised. Why is he surging? In part, it's a process of elimination. It's a weak field and they all have so many flaws that Bernie Sanders shines. In part, I think it's because he's not on the campaign trail right now. I think actually impeachment is helping him because Bernie Sanders, missing all those gaffes, missing all those radical quotes, missing all those radical new plans, Bernie Sanders, just like leftism in general, is better in theory than in reality. Bernie Sanders, though, is consistent. He has been consistently wrong. He has consistently failed to bring about any legislation that he's proposed He is consistently lost and lost. Democrats might learn that lesson before it's too late. I suppose we can only hope. All right, let's get to the mailbag. I'm always so late on the mailbag. I want to take a little bit of time today. First question from Joshua. Even though we know Democrats won't admit on camera that Alan Dershowitz's constitutional arguments swayed them against impeachment, do you think it should have, especially on abuse of power and the myriad other presidents who have been accused of such. Thanks again. Yes. Alan Dershowitz, one of the president's lawyers, gave very clear arguments for why this impeachment is wrong and unconstitutional and the president should be acquitted. Alan Dershowitz is not a Republican. He's a lifelong Democrat. Alan Dershowitz is not a conservative. He's a lifelong liberal. Alan Dershowitz is not a supporter of the president. He didn't vote for Trump in 2016. He says he's not going to vote for Trump in 2020. But he shows up to the impeachment to defend the Constitution. What he says is the Democrats have not accused the president of a crime. The president can only be impeached for a crime. And if you apply the very loose standard that the Congress is applying to Donald Trump, if you apply that to other presidents, you'd have impeached George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, all the way up to Abraham Lincoln, all the way up to Wilson and FDR, all the way up to Ronald Reagan, and even beyond. That it's it's just not a, a tenable idea. It's not constitutional. Those arguments are unlikely to switch any votes on the Democratic side. Maybe, I think Dianne Feinstein, the Democrat from California, she sort of signaled that maybe she would consider acquitting, and then she got so much pushback from the left that she said she was misunderstood by the reporter who wrote that. So even she probably not going to do it. The reason that you're not going to switch any votes on the Democratic Party or really on the Republican side in almost all certainty is because this is a partisan impeachment. It was only Democrats who impeached the president in the House. No, not one single Republican voted to impeach the president. 
So this is the first time that's ever happened. We've had three presidents be impeached in American history. This, this third one, President Trump, is the first time that it has been strictly partisan. And so if you get a partisan impeachment in the House, you're going to get a partisan trial in the Senate. And you're going to get the Democrats all in lockstep, and you're going to get the Republicans all in lockstep. And it's not even a constitutional issue, really, because the Republicans have the Senate. They have the majority. And so in all likelihood, President Trump will be acquitted. It's an important constitutional lesson. And hopefully, as this history is written, future legislators will learn from this. Partisan impeachments do not work. A lot of the people impeaching the president right now in the House made those arguments in the 1990s. And that was not a strictly partisan impeachment. Hopefully, we will learn it now. Because if it's a purely partisan impeachment, then argumentation, debate, facts, evidence, the Constitution, none of that matters. It's just a blood sport between two teams, and we might as well tune the whole thing out. From Tyler, dear Michael, I live in Connecticut, and I know you spent some time here. I also know you hail from New York. So tell me, which pizza is better, New York pizza or New Haven pizza? New Haven pizza is better. It is, objectively. New York pizza is wonderful. New Haven pizza is better. Sally's is the best in New Haven. Pepe is very good, too. And Barr is also pretty good. That's just a fact. Pains me because I'm a New Yorker, but facts don't care about people's feelings, and we have to go with the evidence. New Haven. From David. Hey, Michael, I got into an argument with a friend about the Founding Fathers. They claim the Founders were dirtbags. I strongly disagree with this. After all, they started this great nation. However, they did have issues, such as slavery and the fact that Jefferson apparently had an affair with a black woman, who, who was his slave, by the way. What do you think about the Founding Fathers? Do we judge them too harshly, or were they really terrible people? Also, any books you suggest to read on them? Thanks. The Founding Fathers were better men than your friends. Every single one of the Founding Fathers was a much better man than any of your friends who call them dirtbags. The Founding Fathers were better men than you in almost all certainty, and the Founding Fathers were better men than me. Yes, they were human beings, and so they had flaws and foibles. Yes, they lived in history, so there were social evils that existed around them, like slavery, as you mentioned. But those men were much, much better than we are. We inherited this great nation from them. And we've been messing it up in many ways, especially in our constitutional order. Much better men. The, the way that you can show this to your friends is to just push history down a little bit. So now we're over 200 years removed from the founding generation. Now, what, 250? What will people say about us? in 250 years. Will they call us dirtbags? Maybe. We're all much less educated than those founding fathers. We've all accomplished much, much less than the founding fathers and will accomplish much, much less than them. We're all much less religious, virtually in all cases, few exceptions, I suppose. And we live at a time that also is marked by immense social evil. So the founding generation had slavery, evil. Our generation kills a million babies a year through abortion. A million babies a year just in America. We are killing off a quarter of the population. And by the way, since you bring up the question of African slavery, we're killing off black babies at a much higher rate than we're killing off white babies. We're killing off black babies at three times the rate we're killing off white babies. More black babies are killed in New York than are born. So how are they going to look on us? 
Are we dirtbags? Maybe we are dirtbags, but the founding fathers were not. From Chase. Hello, Michael. My name is Chase. I know that because you sent in the question from Chase. I'm curious to learn who's your favorite actor. My favorite actor that I can see, you know, there are stories about the great actors in the past like uh, Garrick or Eleonora Duza or, or these actors that really only other actors ever read about. But in terms of the actors that we could all see and appreciate, Brando. Brando is my favorite actor. Uh, it's, an, it's an obvious answer, but it's obvious for a reason. In terms of living actors or recently dead, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think, is a magnificent actor, was a magnificent actor. Robert Duvall, uh, Denzel Washington, I think uh, John Voight is a tremendous actor. Kevin Spacey, uh, I, know, I know he's got political problems now, but Kevin Spacey is an excellent actor. Hugh Jackman, uh, Ed Harris, Sam Rockwell, Bradley Cooper is very good. In terms of my favorite movie star, which is different than actor, Tom Cruise. There's only one, and his name is Tom Cruise. From Thomas. Hey, Michael, I teach middle school students, and I get asked all the time what the difference is between modern Protestants and Catholics. As a history teacher, my answer is usually long-winded. What is a simple explanation for this question? Thank you. Obviously, you could go into any number of things. You could go into the, our understanding of Mary, the mother of God. You could go into our understanding of the role of priests and therefore bishops and the Bishop of Rome, who's also known as the Pope. You could go into all those things. But I think the simplest way to understand it, especially given the fact that there are tens of thousands of Protestant denominations, so you've got to figure out which one you're talking about, the, the simplest way to understand it is that the difference is about our understanding of symbolism, specifically the sacraments, and specifically the Eucharist, which is the sacrament, it's the communion wafer, it's the Lord's Supper, it's the body and blood of Christ. In the Protestant view, broadly, the sacraments are just symbols, so they're totally, they're, it, you know, it could be anything. There, there's no intrinsic worth to it. It's just, you know, a little cracker, basically. To the Catholic, the communion, the Eucharist, is the literal body and blood of Christ. And this is true in so many of the other sacraments. What, what the Catholic Church believes is that the, the body and blood of Christ, the, the bread, is truly Christ's body, and the Church is truly Christ's church. So, and Christ is truly the divine logic of the universe. So this metaphysical thing that we call the second person of the Trinity or the, the logos, the divine logic of the universe, or the word of God is, is literally this person named Jesus Christ. And they're the same thing and they come together. So for the, for the Catholic, the symbol and the symbolized, the thing that the symbol talks about, have to come together regularly, and they do that in the sacraments. They do that in the church. They do that in the priests all the way up to the pope. And at, to varying degrees, the Protestant churches separate the symbol from the symbolized, and that's been happening for 500 years or so now. I know that seems like maybe a more complicated answer, but I think that actually gets to the heart of the question, and that way you don't need to get into, you know, Mary and the popes and the this and the that and the smells and the bells. Hope that helps from... Madaris, good day, king of trolls and master of the unwritten word. I'm writing today to regretfully inform you that you are incorrect when you stated that we get our right to bear arms from the Constitution. We do not. Our right to defend ourselves and our families is an inalienable right, meaning it cannot be taken from us. 
granted by God, not the Constitution. In the Constitution's Bill of Rights, these are rights that are acknowledged. You may even call them chains placed upon our federal government that may not ever be broken. When they put regulations upon those rights, they're in violation of the Constitution, in violation of our God-given rights. I half agree with you. You're right. The Constitution acknowledges natural rights. You're right. The Constitution puts a chain on the federal government, says there are certain things you cannot do. You're right that those rights are inalienable, unalienable in the language of the Constitution. But they can be taken from you. Of course they can be taken from you. They're being taken from us right now. And in most countries in the world, for most of history, they have been taken from people. The government can do that. We do have a right, abstractly, to keep and bear arms. But good luck enforcing that right if you don't have as good a constitution as ours, and if you don't have institutions that respect the constitution, and if you don't have political stability, and if you don't have people to protect those rights. Sure, yeah, there are there are natural rights acknowledged by the Constitution, but those rights are not acknowledged in a great many places around the world. And so it's incumbent upon us not to just rest easy and say, oh, don't worry, I got my rights from God, so that's all I got to worry about. I, I, uh, everything else is fine. No, we need to protect those rights. We have to fight for those rights. We need to, to build institutions that defend those rights, or those rights certainly will be taken from us. From Jacob. Greetings, Michael. What, in your opinion, is the greatest television drama of all time? The correct answer to this is Breaking Bad. My favorite television drama of all time is The Sopranos, but the greatest of all time is Breaking Bad. From Grant. Hi, Michael. I must apologize if my question is perhaps a little edgy, and I understand if you can't answer it on your show. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Something I believe many Christian men contemplate and struggle with, albeit secretly, and I would appreciate your perspective. We know porn is sinful, so for argument's sake, let's remove that from the equation. Is masturbation in and of itself a sin? If so, how can Christians overcome it? Thank you for all you do and for your constant inspiration. Great job on the two new projects. Sincerely, Grant. Thank you. I assume you're talking about Verdict with Ted Cruz, the podcast, and the book club at PragerU. Yes. Not only is porn sinful, but masturbation is a sin. It is gravely disordered. It's weird. It's creepy. And I know that virtually virtually every guy has done it at some point in his life, and a great, probably the vast majority of guys continue to do it. But nevertheless, it is a sin. It's not something that you open the blinds on and, you know, open up the window and say, hey, everybody, guess what I'm about to do? You know, people close their eyes if if you ever did that. No, it's something that we feel great shame about, and we feel shame for a reason, because it is sinful. So how can you avoid doing it, especially if you're a young man? Young men have certain urges that are completely natural. The way to avoid it is to get married and find a good woman, get married, and then have lots of sex. That's the way to do it. And uh, uh, this is why people prolonging getting married until very late, and look, everybody does it now, but it's why it's uh, probably not such a great idea. You're not going to get rid of your sexual urge unless you have the special gift for celibacy, which few of us do. So find a lady, get married, and have a good time. From Travis, 
Hello, Michael. I am currently a college student majoring in political science and minoring in history. As a conservative in California, which jobs would you suggest I look for after graduation a couple years? I would prefer to eventually make six figures, though my passions don't seem to match with such a job. Many thanks. You want me to tell you what you should do for a living? I don't know. I don't know you from Adam. (laughs) How am I supposed to know what you should do? Now, you say you want to make six figures. All right, yeah, it's making six figures is a... A very nice thing. I think a lot of people want to make six figures. However, the advice I can give you is that you're getting your priorities backwards. You say that what you want to do is not conducive to making six figures. I'm not totally sure about that. One thing I really like doing is not writing books, and I figured out how to make six figures out of that. And and actually, in terms of a long-term career, I've never put the money first. I have never cared about, look, I chose acting and politics, right? Those are the two, two career paths that pretty much ensure poverty. But I've never put the money first. I don't care. I've worked for basically free for long, long hours. And uh, it's paid off. I don't care. I would never put the money first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all the other blessings follow. It's just don't, do not seek ye first a ton of money because you'll have a, a miserable life. I, I have friends who have done that, who chose to just make money even though they wanted to do something else. And they've either switched course or they've become miserable. Don't do that. Don't wind up like that. You only have one life. Do what you want to do and then work very hard and uh, figure out a way to make money out of it. But uh, do not sell out your own only life so that you can make a little bit more money and buy more stuff. The two don't have to be mutually exclusive, but if you've got to pick one, don't pick the mammon. All right, that's our show. We have got a lot more to get to. We'll just have to wait on that. I am very excited. I'm going to be flying to St. Louis tomorrow to give a speech very quickly, and then we will be back with the number one podcast in America, Verdict with Ted Cruz. We'll be taking that through impeachment this weekend, and then we'll be back on this very show, The Michael Knowles Show, next week. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Director, Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Jesua Olvera. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. On the Matt Walsh Show, we're not just discussing politics. We're talking culture, faith, family, all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation.